0: So one of the things that my wife told me, you know it's going to be a good sermon when it starts like that. One of the things that my wife told me when we first got married was, number one, that that I was um, very, she, she was surprised at how domesticated I was. And not cooking, but I could clean a little bit and, um, you know, how responsible I was and you know, once in a while, how good looking I was. No, that's a lie. She's, it took her a few years to work that one out. Um, but one of the things she said early on, he goes, Steve, you complain a lot. <laughs> you know what? I admit it. My name's Stephen and I am a chronic complainer. I have this amazing ability. It's like it's a gift. I can make anything into a complaint. Everything could be good. And I'll find that one thing to complain about. Um, I can wake up and look at the weather and I'll complain. I can go to work and I'll complain. Or I'll have a day off and I'll find something to complain about. Um, (laughs) There are so many. I just complain a lot. I've gotten a lot better. I've gotten a lot better. One of my high school friends who now rocks up at my church, at our church, not my church, God's church, sorry. (laughs) Theologically correct. He was telling me just before the service, he's been listening to some of the backlog of the podcasts. And and everyone else who's been here would know. And he goes, Steve, you get a bit angry. (laughs) And I was like, This is me good, man. Like, I used to get so angry because I complain a lot. When I don't get what I want, when I don't get what I deserve, I complain. I kid you not, if I was an athlete in complaining, I'd be up there. I'd be competitive. But you know what's interesting? Complainers can find other complainers. And then what do we do? We complain about them because they complain too much. And we're very ignorant of ourselves, but we can see everyone else. And uh, some of you here, some of you on the live stream, don't name names, please. But you know who you are. If you don't, ask me. I can tell you. I've heard you as a church. I've heard you complain about things that even I don't complain about, which is pretty amazing. And if I told you right now, and if I put you on the spot right now, I say, you name life group. If I, if I did that right now, you know what you would do? You would complain that your pastor did that to you on the live stream. I did some research this week on complaining. And there are two main types of complaining. Number one is grumbling. And I love, I love this Um, When I was reading the description of the word grumbling, it's one of those words that as you say it, that's what it sounds like. That that is an English term called what? Albert Chang. I think, this is just off the top of my head. Does anyone know? That's right, onomatopoeia. Onomatopoeia, Carlingford represent. (laughs) Did someone say metaphor? No. (laughs) If you say the word grumbling, if you hear someone grumble, that's exactly what it sounds like. Grumbling, 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 grumbling. grumbling. That's what it sounds like, right? But the word grumbling actually comes from this deep-down desire, I deserve better. When we grumble, we insert ourselves into the center of the universe and make life all about us. And when we don't get what we want, immediately when we want it precisely how we want it, what do we do? We complain slash grumble. How many times have you gone to a restaurant you didn't get what you ordered and grumble, 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 grumble? Why? Because I deserve better. I deserve better customer service. Just shout out to what I think is the best restaurant Best, best Vietnamese restaurant in Stratfield, VN City. I'm coming this week. I want a free coconut milk. Coconut drink. It's on live. Maddie, Maddie's here tonight. <laughs> I won't grumble. You know, when, when we feel like we, we, we deserve better, we grumble. It's, it's a way of expressing our inner complaints of what being selfish the second type of grumbling is called disputing. Now, we don't, sometimes we don't see this as being complaining. Sometimes we think that it's an objective thing, but it's actually just complaining. Disputing. Disputing can be translated into questioning or arguing. And, and disputing comes from, this complaint comes from this idea that says, I know better. I know better. Our complaining happens in disputing because we assume a position of higher knowledge or higher understanding. And so when someone says something contrary to that, we complain because we think we know better. And so we argue and we dispute that. We complain because we know better. They should have done this. They should have done that. Disputing is complaining. And as much as we feel entitled to complain, to grumble or dispute, when we read the Bible, the Bible tells us, actually, you should be doing the opposite. Philippians 2.14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. It's pretty specific, but you've got to go, Why? And it's in the verse before, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. We should do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? Because this life is not about me. Because we are not the center of the universe. God is. We complain Because we forget this. We complain because we forget that life is not about us. We complain because we lose perspective. This is what happens to the Israelite people in Exodus. Now, we've been working through the book of Exodus for the last two months. And the story till now goes like this. The Israelites, God's people, were in Egypt. For 430 years, and most of those years, they were in oppression and slavery. Now they cry out to God, God save us. And God sends Moses through these miraculous ways. He sends Moses into Egypt to go and bring God's people out of Egypt. They go through 10 devastating plagues that decimate the nation of Egypt and even... When they are finally freed from Pharaoh, they find themselves trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. And that's where we were last week. But we see that God does a miraculous work by parting the Red Sea so that the Israelites can walk through. And as the Egyptian army followed them, the waters came back in, decimated the whole Egyptian army. And that's where the story is at. The Israelites are finally out of Egypt. Finally, their ties with Egypt, the the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, is completely done. And now we see that they're journeying towards the promised land. And the promised land is a land that God promised his people, a land full of, of milk and honey. And they're moving towards that land. But you've got to understand, right? This is 1.8 million people. Okay, you can't just migrate 1.8 million people, okay, overnight. It's going to take time. You would think if you were an Israelite, pretty much your whole life, you've been a slave in Egypt. You've been oppressed by Egyptians. You would think that after seeing the 10 plagues after being freed, after seeing the Red Sea split, and you literally walked on the bottom of the ocean, you would think that you would be so grateful to God. You'd be so thankful to God that every day you would just be like, God, you are the best. God, you're amazing. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do everything that you want me to do. And yet, what we're going to see today is that's not the case. Why? Because of what we said last week. People are fickle. I put it on my Instagram stories, the whole point of today's sermon. Four, four words. People equal idiots. God equals good. People are idiots. People are so fickle. Like, they've seen all of this. And you know what? You and I, we look down on the Israelites and go, you guys are idiots. As if you would forget what God's done. But I promise you, we're exactly the same. They change when the situation changes. And so we're actually working through Exodus 15 to 17, and we're going to see the Israelites in these passages make three complaints to God. Not just one, not just two, but three. The first complaint we see in Exodus 15, verse 22 to 24. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why this place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? What are we to drink? So that's the first complaint. They haven't had water for three days. They get to this water well or whatever it was. They can't drink the water because it's bitter. The second complaint we see in Exodus 16, 2-4. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So the second complaint they make is that they're hungry and there's no food. And that's an amazing complaint. God, you should have just left us in Egypt to be slaves because at least we had meat. I don't know if you ever watched this old video. It's called Leroy Jenkins. Anyone seen that? It's old. It's so funny. I'll post it. This guy, it's a, it's a, it's a video game and, and the whole team's meant to move together and they're strategizing and they're about to hit this dragon and they're all strategizing and this one guy goes, that's it, I'm just going in. And he goes, Leroy Jenkins. And then he just goes in and it stuffs up the whole team and the whole team dies, right? And it stuffs up the whole team. I'll put it on my Facebook. It's seriously one of the funniest videos, right? And at the end, they're all like, Leroy, you're so stupid. Leroy, why'd you do that for Leroy? And then at the end, you hear Leroy go, at least I got chicken. That's it. See, it's a a stupid video, but this is exactly what the Israelites are saying. Man, we're so hungry. Man, I'd rather have been a slave because I had chicken. That's the second complaint. Third complaint, Exodus 17, verse 1, to do the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, Travelling from place to place, as the Lord commanded, they camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink, so they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. So that's the third complaint. Water, food, water. Water, food, water. Now, when we first read this, and when I first read this, I was like, man, you Israelites, you guys are fools. You just saw God split the ocean, and you're like, I wish I had some chicken. I wish I was back as a slave. You just saw 10 plagues. God just decimate the nation of Egypt and you're complaining, oh, the water's a bit bitter. But as I was thinking about this passage, I was like, why would they be like this? Why would they be like this? Like, Why would the Israelites so foolish or so fickle? And it came to me that for the Israelites themselves, they had only just started to get to know God as well. Think about it. They've been in slavery in Egypt full of you know hundreds of different gods and Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the Israelite the God, the Hebrew God, has just turned out. Of course, he's just done some amazing and miraculous things. But it's still, they're in a place where they're they're still asking themselves the question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Yes, they've seen the crazy works that God did to the Egyptian enemy, but they are still unsure on who God was to them. And it makes sense. 430 years of being in a foreign land and only recently recognizing that God was there. They're grumbling and complaining because they're still unsure on who God is. But it's through these complaints and this grumbling that God starts to reveal himself more and more. Not just the almighty God, the powerful God, the destructor God. But now this personal God, this caring God, this providing God. See, in in Exodus 15, when the Israelites couldn't drink the water because it was bitter, God gave Moses a piece of wood. And when Moses threw the wood into the water, the water became fit to drink, so they drank. Exodus 16, when the Israelites complained when they didn't have any food, God sent them meat in the evening in the form of quail and bread in the morning in the form of manna. Exodus 17, when we see the Israelites complain again that they don't have water, God tells Moses to strike a rock. And out of the rock, water came out. Each time, God heard the complaints, heard the grumbling, heard the disputes, and answered them. And we're going to see this pattern over and over again through Scripture because this is who God is. God is revealing a characteristic about himself to his people as they get to know each other more. And it's the characteristic of provision. God is the provider. Not only did he provide freedom from their enemies, but he provided food and water for their physical needs. Now, as we read these passages, what do we learn about God the provider? You know, we've seen God the destructor. We've seen God the miraculous worker. We've seen God hear and answer prayer, but what about God the provider? I need to check. One, two, three. There's three things that we want to go over today. The first one is this God's provision is specific. God hears the specific complaints of His people and He addresses them. You know they don't say, "God, I'm thirsty," and God goes, "Here, have some bread." They don't say, "God, I'm I'm hungry," and God says, "Here, have some water." He answers their complaints and grumbling specifically. Now, why is this important? Because it shows us that God cares for the specific individual. He cares for the specific need. God's not just a general God that says, hey, you follow me, you'll be all right. Hey, you follow me, you, you know, you, you, things will work out. Just keep trying. He's not general. He's very specific. He's a personal God that takes that takes care of our specific needs. They needed, they wanted water, so he got water. They were hungry, so He gave them food. They wanted meat, so he gave them meat. God, our God, the way he provides for us is specific. It's like the way that myself and my wife have to deal with our children. See, many families don't really understand this part yet. They have one kid, right? And when you have one kid, all you know is the needs of that one kid, right? That kid likes cars. You think every kid likes cars. That kid likes rice and soup. You think every kid likes rice and soup. But what happens when you have more kids is you realize that each kid is so different. Each kid, not only is their personality different, but their needs and their wants and what they like and what they don't like is all different. See, when you have one, you have no comparison nor competition, but when you have four, you learn this very quickly. So we have four, and each kid is very different. And there are times where sometimes you just have to be like, just all of you go watch whatever, whoever wins the TV remote. You know, sometimes it's just like that. But for the most time, because we're loving parents, we need to address our kids individually. We need to address our children's needs at their specific age. So we have a teenage son and we have a one-year-old son. We cannot give the same food to our teenage son and our one-year-old son, nor can we give them the same amount, right? Anyone, if you were to do that, you'd think, man, your parents are crazy. Because either the 13-year-old son is going to die of malnutrition or the one-year-old son is going to die of overeating, right? You can't do that. For each kid, as parents, we need to know them. We need to know their needs and we need to know how their heart works. That's the same with God. That's the same with God and us. He knows each and every one of us. And he provides for us specifically. Why? Because he knows you personally. Secondly, God's provision is sufficient. To say this differently, God's provision for us is enough. God gives to us exactly what we need. Now, let's pause for a moment. Sometimes God gives to us what we think we need, right? Because that's in line with what God thinks we need. But sometimes God gives us what he thinks we need, but sometimes we don't agree with that. Okay? God is so detailed, he knows exactly what we need, how much we need, how we need it. Problem is, we complain because God's provision sometimes is not enough. We dispute this. And and what's disputing, I know better. So when you dispute this and you complain to God, what you're ultimately saying is God, creator of heaven and earth, the breath of life into my life, I know more than you. And I'm complaining because I think I I need more. I think I should have more of this. God, you should have given me this and this and this, but you only gave me this. And then that's when we complain. We complain because we think that, we're higher and we know more than God. But take a moment. Take a moment to really think about this. Take a moment to think about what you're doing as you complain to God. The one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who spoke the, the sun, moon, and stars into the sky. You're telling God that you know better? You're telling God that you you, you know you, you just you know the future better. It's pretty funny, right? We can't even guarantee life tomorrow. Like no one here, no one can guarantee that tomorrow morning you will wake up and you will be breathing. And yet we're complaining to God, telling him how to run the universe? Friends, God's provision for us is sufficient. It's specific and it's sufficient. Now, you might not agree with that. You might not agree that that it's sufficient for you. And you might be like, man, I need more. God, why aren't you giving me more? Why aren't you blessing me more? And I'm telling you now, that's your opinion. That's not God's. His provision is specific. It's just that we don't believe that or we don't trust God. It's either we don't believe God or we don't trust God. And the cameo is we're greedy. We're greedy. Human nature, we're greedy. We always want more. See, so even the Israelites, God says, I will provide for you every day enough, right? And so when he sends down the food, right, he sends down the manna, and, it, and it's like these little seeds, and, and they wake up in the morning, and it's like the morning dew, and you're meant to go, and you're meant to collect it, you grind it, you make it into a bread, Right? Literally, bread from heaven. That's what the word manna means. And God says, I will give you enough. And even at that point, what happened was some of these Israelites, they got greedy and they're like, you know what? God said, just take enough for today. And they were like, I'm going to take more. And what happened was the the, the bread that they, they couldn't eat, the, the excess that they took, it actually started to rot the next day and they couldn't eat it. This is God's way of teaching that whatever he gives is enough for today. And if we believe that God is in control, if we believe that God is who he says he is, that he is the great I am, and that he is the great controller and and provider for life, if we believe that, that we have to believe that whatever we have, that whatever God gives to us is enough. It's enough for today. That's what it means that God's provision is sufficient. Now, you might be like, well, I don't have my Ferrari yet. And God's like, you're never going to get a Ferrari. Because you don't need a Ferrari. You can have a Hyundai. And that's just the way it is. That's your greed for wanting a Ferrari. But God's like, you just need a car. Here, have a car. See, God's provision is sufficient. It's just whether we believe that or we trust him. And the final thing that we need to understand about God's provision is that he's generous. See, the Israelites, right? They're in Egypt and they're in slavery. But not only are they in slavery, they had to make their own food. They had to farm their own food. They had to pay for their own food. But when Israelites leave Egypt, right, there's no story of them having to farm or dig holes for water or raise their own beef. It's all provided by God. It's all provided by God. And this is enough food and drink for roughly 1.8 million people. And this is when we realise God is a generous provider. Think about your life. Like, yeah, you might not be the richest person in the world, but have you got everything that you pretty much need to live? The answer is probably yes. You know, we live in Australia. Greatest company. We, you know, even if even if you are... You know, even if you don't have a a high income, you can work for Centrelink. Greatest employer in Australia. Thank you, Centrelink. I work for Centrelink. They love me. I keep going back. No one's going to go hungry tonight. You know, everyone that's watching on the live stream, remember, right, you're watching the live stream on a TV or a phone. Okay? You're pretty rich. Oh, but my TV's too small and I can't see Steve's face. Don't worry, it's not much. It's it's the same. Some might think, no, I have to earn. I have to earn all. I have. I have to make it happen. And some that that are affluent, you might think to yourself, no, I have things because I worked hard. I made this happen. And you're going to try to take credit for it. And I'm going to tell you, friend, you cannot even control your breathing without God. Don't fool yourself. You cannot even control the weather Don't fool yourself. Don't tell me that you're in control. You made this way. It is not you. It's God. Exodus 16, 11 and 12. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. See, God hears these complaints. But what's he trying to instill in the Israelites? He's answering that same question. As the Israelites, like, who is this God that I should obey him? Yeah, okay, I've seen him do all these miracles, but we have needs. We're hungry. We're thirsty. And God is saying, you will be filled with enough. You will have meat. You will have bread. I will give you specifically. I will give you generously. And as I do that, you will know. That I am the Lord your God see God's hope is that as 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 people see his goodness and as people see his provision that they would be able to answer for themselves this is who God is that he is the provider of all things including life and breath he's the provider of all the things that I need and so let's start to land the plane. What is it that you believe about God tonight? How do you see God? Do you see God as the great provider? Or is everything that you have because of what you've done? Like you studied hard and then you worked hard and then you made those dollars and then you bought this car and you bought this house. And Really? Was that you? Do you believe that God is the provider of your life or do you still find yourself complaining because you think you deserve better or that you know more than God? Now remember, let's, let's leave this in context. This is the same God that created the universe. It's the same God that created the heavens and the earth. This is the same God that sent his son Jesus to die on the cross while you were dead in your sins. This is the same God that promises you life to the fullest here and life eternal. This is the same God that tells you that you will be his people and he will be your God. Friends, next time you feel there's a complaint coming, whether it's about your life, whether it's about God, whether it's about your situation. Next time you feel like there's a grumbling or a dispute coming out of your heart, pause, take a breath and ask yourself, who gave you that breath? Take a moment to remember that everything that we have, everything that we are, is from the Lord. And the Lord provides for his people. I pray that you would believe that tonight. And that we would turn our frowns upside down. And we would go to God with praise, with honor and glory, and not complaining because he is our God and we are his people let's pray